Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 60 titled Scott Rebarrick, Rider, Rider, Racer, and Instructor. In this episode, I have a great discussion with Scott Rebarrick. Scott works to support the expansion of the sport of motorcycling in more ways than I can count, including as a guest instructor for the Yamaha Champions Riding School. As Scott says in his bio, the motorcycling community has become an extension of my family, and I want to help others become better, safer, and faster riders. Scott and I talk about lots of topics related to motorcycles and motorcycling, including community, running clubs, managing risk and performance, how people learn new skills, taking kids racing, the lessons of motorcycling that relate to other parts of life, modern motorcycle electronics and tires, and are they too good, and much, much more. This episode was recorded as a live video shown using Facebook Live. So if you prefer, you can check out the video on my Facebook page, So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle. Stay tuned as I will be doing as many of these podcast recordings as possible using Facebook Live, usually on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I will, of course, continue to make the audio portion available via this podcast. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, September 16th, 2020, and is being published on Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. Please remember that I love getting feedback from listeners, so when you're done listening, please message me on Facebook or Instagram or email me at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. Anything you want to share with me will be a tremendous help and greatly appreciated. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. This is episode 60, and my special guest tonight is Scott Rebarek who, among many other things, is a rider, a writer, a racer, an instructor. So, hey, Scott, welcome. Hey, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it's kind of interesting. We were just saying about how in motorcycling you meet so many cool people. And uh, a couple episodes ago, you know, I had uh, Manny Bastos on, which I guess you're friends with him. And I know I think you were kind of listening in on a little bit of that, that Facebook Live um, Anyway, so just during the course of that conversation, he's like, hey, you know what, this, this guy, Scott Rebarrick, and he's a really cool dude, and he, and he does so many things, really, in the motorcycle community to just help, help expand what's going on and you know, all kinds of things that you do. It's like, that sounds like a really good dude to have on the podcast, so that's why, that's why I reached out to you, so I'm glad you could join me. Well, I'm so glad to be here, and, and that Manny speaks so highly of me is a big compliment. I'm, I'm real thrilled to hear that. I met Manny at the Yamaha Champion School, where I'm an instructor, and he was a student, and he was working on his, we do a champion certified coach, a 3C certification. He was working on it at that time. So I've helped uh, guide his path as an instructor and what he's doing at New York Safety Track, and 
we uh we don't talk often but every now and then our our paths come across each other and you having him on was a great reason for me to check in that night and just see his face and see how he was doing see what he was up to it was it was really nice yeah no it was it was a ton of fun and that's really kind of cool that you were involved in training him and then he's training me so it kind of it's like that pay it forward kind of thing and i'm pretty sure that's one of the things manny had mentioned you know the the importance of that i I don't know if it was i don't know if it was manny someone recently had mentioned to me you know we we all have or maybe maybe it was when i interviewed the guys from n2 track days um Rob Chicolo, right? Who also yeah, Yamaha champions. Right? He's, Yamaha he's, he's, he's a partner, right? Yamaha champions and an instructor. Um, and maybe he's the one that mentioned or Chip Spaulding that, yep. you know, we all received this gift of motorcycling from somebody else, most likely. I mean, you know, maybe this maybe t- you know times people just see it happening and they they go discover it for themselves. But generally, someone introduced them to it. You know, in, in my case, it was my girlfriend, like whoever. It was a friend. It was a father, brother, whatever. So um, it, it's just kind of cool. And that's the reason I do this podcast is that that idea of paying it forward because I love this activity so much. I want to do what I can, you know, to help others succeed at it as well. So and, and that's a big thing about what Yamaha Champions is all about, right? It is. It's a huge part of what we do. And and by way of that story, right? You know, a couple of weeks ago, you reached out to me, talked about bringing me onto the podcast. And I quickly sent some notes, right? What did, what was the first thing on the list? It was community. Yeah. So if we talk about that, if I talk about my first race instructor in 2002 in the MRA in Colorado was a guy named Mark Schellinger, who's a Yamaha champions instructor now. And uh, he and I are are really close friends as a result of motorcycling. And then I came up and became an instructor with him at champion school. You know, that, that introduces me to Nick Inoch and Rob Ciccolo and, and Manny Bastos. So there's this network of people across the country who share this passion who otherwise would have, no reason to come together. Mark it was the Michelin race tire dealer for the club that we were in uh, at that time, the MRA. Uh, he was a Yamaha Champions instructor. He's now a defensive and tactical driving instructor uh, for special forces and such around the world, right? Manny runs something at New York Safety Track. Nick has been doing a cycle world thing, but then there's doctors and lawyers and dentists and carpenters and all, all this mix of people that I encounter through motorcycles that I don't encounter in any other way. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love yeah. community because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it, it's cool. And, you know, whether it's, you know, just like your, your local street riding, like I've, I've experienced that sense. You know, you go to a cycle gear bike night or something like that, or it, it, it's just so easy to meet people and fall into conversation with people. You know, you see a motorcycle you like or someone's got a piece of gear or whatever it happens to be. Um, and, and then you've got like the whole track, you know, the track day community. And, you know, now I've gotten re- really into the and, and we're both supporters of Kyle Wyman, right, and his racing efforts. Absolutely. You know, there's that whole community of racing, you know, it's maybe like a little subset or a little, you know, you know, mini cosmos of, of the bigger picture, but uh, there's a tremendous sense of community there. Yeah. It's a, it's a small fraction of the population that owns and rides motorcycles, motorcycles to yeah. begin with. Right. So uh, you talk about six degrees of separation. It's, it's smaller than that in our community. If, if you're riding a motorcycle, we immediately have something in common and that makes it easy to strike up conversation. And, and they're people I want to talk to and learn from uh, a lot of times. I learned a tremendous deal about being a good person from my motorcycling community. This 
past week, not not this week, but week before, there was an epic windstorm in Utah, and one of the key volunteers at the Sport Bike Association, the race club there, her name is Raina Miller, and she volunteers uh, with wild abandon to make sure that race events happen. She shows up with this great attitude, and she'll do just about whatever you ask her to. Go hold this red flag in front of a bunch of people who are anxious to go fast on motorcycles. Okay, how do I do that, right? And her motorcycle was stolen in the middle of this windstorm. So I put together a quick fundraiser on Facebook and I got a phone call from another friend of mine in Colorado who had a spare motorcycle. And he said, hey, Scott, if, uh, if Raina doesn't find her motorcycle, I've got one that I'm not using. She just has to figure out how to come get it and it's hers. Wow. And I was just absolutely floored by the generosity of our community. First by Raina, who volunteers weekend after weekend after weekend for almost nothing in return because she shares this passion for sport. And then by, by another friend who we're going to leave nameless because it's, uh, he doesn't want the publicity, right? But, but who doesn't know Raina from a hole in the ground. And uh, offers up a motorcycle so that she can continue engaging in her passion. What a great community to be a part of. I, I can't think of anything better. Absolutely. No, it's awesome that the stories you hear are just inspiring. Um, and, and just uh, and even other ways. And I forget the racer's name, but I think it was just uh, oh, it was at the Ridge. Yeah, it was the, the race at the Ridge where they were talking about, I don't know if it's a super sport racer or whatever, who's a volunteer, I don't know, volunteer or a professional fireman. You know, and so he, he came from fighting the wildfires out there to, to take a little time on the weekend and do some racing. You know, so it's, yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah, like that community minded spirit. It kind of it extends beyond just motorcycling, I guess, is my my point. You know, it's the the type of people that are, I guess, drawn into the activity. Yeah, and and the opportunity to uh, mold those people to be a part of a culture and a community you want them to. It was a big part of what we did at Utah Sport Bike while I was president. There is we created a culture that people were drawn to, that they wanted to be a part of, and that gets us the Raina Millers who volunteer freely, and that gets us people traveling from California and Washington and Colorado to race in Utah because the club is good and the track is fantastic, but it's a place and a community that they want to be in. It's, the culture is so incredibly important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting too, like what you mentioned about, you know, what, what Raina does. I've never met her, but hopefully I'll have the opportunity and who knows, maybe she'd like to be a guest on the podcast. Um, but you know, what you said about all the things she does and contributes with, you know, pretty much nothing in return, you know, I'm guessing monetarily. Right. And, and right. so it, it, what that, it brings me to the point that, you know, one of the things I've just learned in life, right. Is there are so many kinds of return that are not monetary. And, and th that's a cool thing too. Like, like this podcast, right. It's like, you know, I don't make money doing the podcast. I, I did it cause I love, you know, started cause I love motorcycling and I want to just help expand the community. But it's not, it's not like I get nothing in return. You know, there's a little financial, support, right? Nothing compared to what I put into it. But what I get back in terms of, you know, meeting, getting a chance to meet, to, you know, meet and talk with someone like yourself, or just the connections and the doors that it opens up, there's tremendous value there. And then having, you know, having someone send me an email and say, hey, Chris, you know, uh, I've been thinking about riding motorcycles for 50 years, and I was listening to your episode number, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what, if Chris can do it, maybe I could do it too. So I just bought my first motorcycle like that that's huge. Like that, that right there, that that's, 
that's payment for you know all the work <laughs> that that's take, taken course. to put this together. You know, so yeah, what I wouldn't give to bring three more riders into the community this year, right? And and I'm doing that work a lot with my kids today, right? I've got 11 year old boys that were taking racing, and I had a little bit of a hard time picking which shirt I was going to wear tonight. Is it going to be <laughs> the Champion School shirt? Is it going to be the USBA right. shirt? And then I came across the Ovale shirt. Because that's, that's cool. what I'm doing with my boys right now. And we bought a couple of the little Ovali mini bikes. We were going to try and go do the Moto America thing this year. And COVID hit. Our bikes came late. Our spare parts didn't, right? There was nothing shipping out of Italy. Um, and then the tracks were closed for practice. So we didn't quite get that done. So we've been partnering with folks at Road America at the kart track. And they've got a little mini series for Supermoto and mini motos going on then. Uh, up out of Minneapolis, Zars, the Zalewski Advanced Riding School, she's put together a kids' night program so kids can come ride at her events on a community college driving instructor track that she has set up that they do a bunch of instruction to work on. It's just great, again, to build that community. There's this whole little community of parents and kids now going racing at those events that we're interacting with and, and, and bringing up in sport. And then you, you know, you just look on up the line, the Cody Wyman's, the Rocco Landers, the, you know, those, those kids had that kind of support and decided that they wanted to continue on with it into the higher, higher ranks of racing. And the next thing you know, you've got Rocco going overseas, you know, and Mm -hmm. you know, guys like Cam Bobier who came out of Red Bull rookies cup, Right. right. That's kids going racing. And, uh, it's such a great sport that way, and it kind of brings us to one of the other talking points, or two of them, right? The the idea of the balance of risk and reward or r- risk yeah. and performance, yep. and uh, and then taking kids racing. And, and how much risk am I willing to put my kids at so that they can have that experience? And right. uh, th- it's always a delicate balance. But this idea of motorcycling mimicking life in a lot of ways, right? If I came to this talk with you completely unprepared, if I didn't have a plan, right, we'd be off topic talking about Waffle House or something at this point, <laughs> right? right? But here here we are kind of moving through it because we had a plan. right? And that having a benefit and a downward effect on my kids, they see uh, us behave in this way. And then they realize that before they go on track, they need to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And that that's a life skill. And that right. if they if they uh, are too coarse with the controls, if they're too abrupt with people, they don't get the result that right. they want. Yeah. Uh, if they if they come in the door and they say to my wife, Sarah, Hey mom, can I have right? That's that's abrupt on the controls. They went to the gas too quickly. They're they're gonna right. <laughs> they're gonna crash. They're gonna get a solid no out of that. But that lesson comes out of motorcycling. If they're too quick to the throttle on the motorcycle, they either run wide or they fall down. And there's there's this neat correlation between the two uh, activities, life and and racing motorcycles. That is a valuable lesson. Uh, it's the reason I take my kids racing. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned that. About a year ago, I had listened to I think it was Ken Hill episode of one of his podcasts, and. The point that he made was exactly mirrors like kind of what you're talking about, where he was talking about instructing racers. And what he said was interesting was he found that the the students that did well, that that 
took to what he was teaching them or what they were teaching in the school and then applied it to the track just found life got better and life got easier to your point because there there are valuable life lessons there yeah but but the, it's, it's interesting the way you put it i never quite looked at it that way before like just that idea of you know hey mom i want a cookie and sorry kid you're on the gas too too quick you know too quick it's right? too it's too abrupt like you need there's a transition there's a like whatever it happens to be hey mom how's it going today <laughs> kind of yeah hey i took out the garbage right and my right. room is clean how's your day going yeah. Oh, it's going well. Hey, maybe we can share a cookie. Right. Right. That's a, that's a very different, <laughs> different approach. Different approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and I see it every day, right? Like my kids a little too abrupt to the controls or not having a plan, just launching headlong into some project that then becomes a scattered mess of parts. Right. Okay. Well, why did that happen? Well, I, I didn't really know what I was doing when I went in. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that makes sense. Right. right. Or uh, as we talk about going back to school, we're going back on a hybrid model here where the kids are in school part of the week and learning from home the other part of the week. And they have to learn how to balance those equations. Well, right. what happens if you don't uh, clean and and put gas in your motorcycle before you go on the track? Well, you, you don't get very far. Right. So we got to get the binders set up and the notebooks put together and make sure that you have pencils. And right. It's the same thing. You go in prepared with a plan, they're, they're life skills that just transcend motorcycling. And the beauty of motorcycling to me is that it's a compressed timeline, right? That, that action right. consequence relationship is very close together. Too abrupt to the throttle, you, you're either losing ground or you're falling down. That's an instant, uh, an instant reaction. Whereas in life, they tend to have longer timelines. So being able to articulate that to the boys is been equally important making sure that sarah and i are on the same page about using those lessons yeah definitely something that they love and that they're passionate about to teach them about something that they're not super thrilled about yeah it's interesting too what you mentioned about like the approach like dealing with your kids and you know asking them questions right so like you know, so, so what happened with this project? And, and the point I'm getting to is like, you see that with good instructors, right? I, recently I did California Superbike school and the instructor doesn't come over and say, Chris, you messed up in that corner. The instructor comes over and says, Chris, how did you do in that corner? And then I think about it and I go, well, uh, it was pretty good, but I felt a little lost when I kind of got midway into the turn. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like, so what, what were you doing at that point? you know, blah, 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 whatever, you know, where, where were you looking? I don't, I wasn't really looking anywhere. Okay. Could that have something to do with it? Hmm. Hey, you know what? I think you just, <laughs> you just made a really good point there. And, and, and so it's just interesting because it, it gets you, it's not like an attack. It gets you to take a look at yourself, be a little introspective and, and you kind of can come up and, and answer some of the questions yourself, but it's being guided. It's being guided to the conclusion as opposed to being sure. told such and such where you may not integrate it you know, as, as well or as easily. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Right. And ultimately as an instructor, I want you to be able to self-diagnose Yeah. because I'm not going to be there on your next ride up tail of right. the dragon or around your neighborhood where all of a sudden your eyes are even more vital because there's an F two fifty coming for you. <laughs> right. It, yeah. It's not, it's not just being lost on the exit of the corner or going for a little ride through the grass. It's, it's impacting something bigger and heavier than you. 
Um, so I want you to be able to self-diagnose those problems, recognize when that lapse is happening, and give you the tools to, to continue to instruct yourself. That's one of the goals we have as instructors, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it works. It's very effective. That's really effective. Good. Now, in regards to, you know, you mentioned the risk-reward ratio. So it's interesting. On another podcast that I co-host on, we talked, we did an episode. It was like the ethics of motorcycling. And, and basically, this, the subject was, you know, for those of us who love to motorcycle, ride motorcycles, whatever, street track, whatever it happens to be, you know, what's the potential consequences to family and et cetera if things go wrong? So, like, how do you and your wife, you know, because you mentioned your boy's liking to ride, right? Like, how how Absolutely. do you guys... Uh, and and the, like the reason I ask is I, I don't have my own kids, right? Um, you know, my, my girlfriend has older kids that, you know, I've gotten to know, whatever. But um, so how do you guys balance that out, right? Because we, we got into this discussion of, you know, would you encourage a kid to ride a motorcycle? Do you not do that? Do you wait until they ask about it? Like, what's the, you know, what's the ethics? Like, what's the kind of, you know, guideposts you go? And, and obviously that's, you know, it's not, there's no pat answer to that but i was just curious how you guys approach it yeah and you're right there really isn't an answer i mean my boys haven't known a life without motorcycle racing i've, right. I've been doing it for longer than they've been alive and i met my wife at the racetrack she mm -hmm. she and i volunteered together at a charity event that a good friend of mine her brother was also deeply involved with and i raced with ralph for years and uh and then Sarah started volunteering at the charity events, and that's how we met. So it's a uh, it, Sarah hasn't known uh, our life together, right? Now, our relationship has never known a life without motorcycling in it. Um, so it's not really just something we do, right? It's a way of life. Our family vacations are planned around motorcycling and motorcycle racing and either you know initially for me but now more for the boys so our time away from work is planned around taking the boys someplace to ride their motorcycles but it, it starts way further back than that right i think about them learning to walk and run and watching like run one of them run ahead of me down the sidewalk looking over his shoulder to see if i'm paying attention and me knowing that there's a, an expansion joint in the sidewalk that's taller, that they're going to trip and skin their elbow. And doing a quick risk assessment and saying, okay, I, I want that to play out if it's going to. I want them to have the natural consequence of right. not paying attention to moving fast in a direction. right? And that risk-reward balance right, changes if what they're running towards is a busy intersection. Now, now it's my job to intervene, right? So what are we doing as parents? Well, for sure, they're not riding their race bikes up and down the city street, right? They're riding their bikes on closed courses where there's, uh, where there's staff and ambulances and, and a medic nearby, right? So in dollars, it costs us more. In time, it costs us more because we can't just go out the door and do it. We have to to drive somewhere, but that helps us balance the risk reward factor. We're putting in them in the best gear that we can afford for them, even though we know they're going to outgrow it in a year, yeah. right? <laughs> they're in Alpenstar suits. Yeah. They're in Arai helmets. They're, they're geared appropriately. They're, um, 
So this is how we're managing that balance uh, because we think that the benefits of that experience are so much greater than the risk. Sure. And sure. we're doing what we can to manage that risk through venue, through equipment, through training, through practice. Um, you know, sometimes they can't hear the lesson from me or her. So we recruit other friends to help. And Kyle's been great at this, right? Kyle will sometimes just remind the boys, hey, you got, got to keep your eyes up. Mm-hmm. And just in passing, right, if they see him at the races. But knowing that he's good at it. And, and that I look up to him gives that even more sure. credence sure. for that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Finding the right person to communicate the message or that, that, that has the connection with, you know, the kid or whoever it happens to be. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah there's an instructor uh, here uh, at the Zars. Her name is Denise, Denise Brooks. Um, and the boys really look up to and respect her. They see her go around the racetrack really competently. And so one of them walked up to her at, the last one said, "Hey, will you uh, will you lead me around? Will you show me the line around the track this time? And then will you follow me and tell me where I'm messing up?" Okay, so the boys have now gotten good at asking for feedback, which is, I mean, that's the whole ball game right there, right? How do yeah. we get better when we realize that we need to? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Good point. Good point. I would like to take a little break here to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member John Gardner, also known as G4. Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patella and Jerry Vavaro. V-Twin Club member Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School. Triple Club member Aaron at The Motorcycle Rider. Inline Four Club members Andrew Goodman, author of the book Shiny Side Up, From First Ride to Fast Rider, and Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios and the Loud Pipes Podcast and V4 Club members Robbie Ciccolo Jr., the Moto America Twins Cup racer and N2 track day coach, and John Del Vecchio from the Street Skills LLC Motorcycle Riding School and author of the book and online course Cornering Confidence. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your support. It is greatly appreciated. If you feel you're getting value from my podcast and you'd like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content and thus contribute to the growth of the sport of motorcycling, please check out the podcast supporters link on my website. And now back to the show. So I'm going to just take a moment here. So for, for those of you who are watching, if you have any questions for Scott and myself, you can just uh, add a comment onto the, the post for this live feed, and we will try to get to your questions as soon as we can. Yeah, and, and if you're watching, thanks for joining. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let me, let me just kind of pull up the, the little the topics that we had here. Actually, um, so how how did you get? It's not. It wasn't one of our, you know, whatever topics yeah. per se. But I'm just curious. How how did you get into writing? It, it, it sounds like you've been doing it for a long time. Uh, yeah, but I'm one of those who kind of discovered it on my own. As I was growing up, uh, it's not something that my family did. Uh, I knew that historically my dad had had motorcycles, but he never had one through my period of growing up. And my mom was always a little leery of it. She's a she's a nurse by training and, and probably by birth. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so it, uh, it evolved out of bicycle racing for me. So through high school and college, I raced uh, road bikes and then mountain bikes. And then uh, I realized that the vehicles that I were riding, if I was riding them, were dramatically underpowered. Uh, so 
I was walking home from class one day at college, and out in front of this, you know, college house was this Yamaha. It was a, a YX600 Radian. Um, it was the air-cooled four-cylinder motor that preceded, like, the FZR. I think they came in FZs, but this was a standard chassis, and it had a for-sale sign on it, and it had had a for-sale sign on it for for months. And uh, I walked up to the door, and I said, and, and there was kind of rumor that there was going to be a party there that weekend. So I said, uh, you know, if I showed up here with a keg of beer and $300, do you think I could have that? <laughs> and the guy, the guy couldn't get the keys fast enough. So, wow, nice. uh, so I, I got this YX600. It goes ac- actually back way before that. When I was really young, uh, my Uncle Joe in near Milwaukee, I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, near Milwaukee, had this little Honda Trail 70 uh, that he would let my brother and I ride around when we visited. Um, and it was, I mean, we'd ride it around the city block by where they lived, or uh, we'd go to the local. Uh, my dad taught me to drive in cemeteries because he said there was no one there I could kill. Okay, um, that's so interesting. I, th- I thought that was pretty good insight. So we'd go to a lo- local cemetery and ride the, the little motorcycle around, but but not much really beyond that. So, um, so here I am in college, and I, I get this YX600 Yamaha, and, uh, and I show up at home with it, and my dad's all into it. He's like, hey, you think I can take it for a ride? And he takes it. He says, you got to be careful with that thing. That thing's really fast. And in all honesty, by modern standards, it's, it's not fast at all. But, right. but compared to what he had ridden when he had motorcycles, it was really quick. And, uh, and my mom, my mom had a very different way of communicating about this. She really didn't say a word about it, but because she worked uh, at the hospital, she got an emergency room report, and she had blocked out all the names and, uh, and pointed like arrows to the, to the officer's comments. And it said, uh, helmet survived crash, firmly fastened to rear seat. Mm. And that was my mom's way of just saying, Hey, I'm not really thrilled about you having this thing, but you darn well better wear a helmet. Now, I'd come out of bicycle racing. There really wasn't much chance. It, it was I bought the helmet before I bought the motorcycle, if, right. I'm, if I'm truly honest. But she wanted to make sure that that point was driven home. And, and so that went for a little while, and then life happened, right? Got busy, sold that motorcycle. I spent about 10 years as a wilderness guide in the West, in Idaho, Montana, uh, British Columbia. Um, beautiful beautiful areas, by the way. Beautiful I've, I've area, seen them. right? Yeah. You, you can't make any money being a wilderness guide, but you get paid well in sunsets. Mm, so yeah. uh, a lot like what you say well, about said, yeah. doing this, right? Mm-hmm, so, sure. um, so I'm getting to the end of that, and I've got a little money saved up, and I decide I'm going to go buy a motorcycle. I go buy a Triumph Daytona 900 which is, you know, it's more sport touring. It's kind of more VFR than it is sport bike, but it's kind of perfect for up there. And I would do these rides out of the north part of Idaho into the southern part of British Columbia and then back through Montana and nice. did that for a little bit. And then I, got, I, I quit being a wilderness guide and I got a real job. And it meant I moved to Colorado and worked for a school district and they had an adventure ed program that they wanted to integrate 
with schools, and as a gift to myself, I bought a Ducati 748. Nice. Uh, and it was brand new on the crate, showroom floor, uh, it shipped from uh, Spokane, Washington to Colorado. I busted it out of the crate and rode it home, and then uh, there was an ad for Sport Bike Track Time. This was run by Monty and Bonnie Lutz at the time. They're just fantastic humans. They've gone on to other things now, but, uh, and there was an ad, you know, sport bike track time and Aprilia demos at second Creek raceway. Uh, and so I showed up there and, uh, I went to the, to the novice class and got some instruction and, and on my, by the time I got home, I was on eBay surfing for a race bike. I, 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 I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. So, you know, a week, awesome. a week later, an FZR 400 in race trim shows up and I'm bugging Mark Schellinger, who's the new rider director for the Motorcycle Road Racing Association. They're the club in Colorado. Bugging the heck out of him. Hey, when can I get my license? When can I get my license? And, uh, and, and the rest is kind of fabled history from there. And uh, so... From about 2002 to 2005, I was kind of a one or two race a year kind of guy. And then about 2005, I started being pretty serious about it. And at one point, there were five or six motorcycles and you yeah. know a couple couple different race bikes and pretty big program and trailers and uh, yeah. And then there was the charity Racing to Save Lives. This was started by a group of MRA racers, Tony Baker. Uh, Stan and Sharon Foxworthy, uh, Ralph Forsyth, who's uh, who's my wife's uh, brother, and um, and so we did that for a few years, and we would get racetracks to donate their time, and we'd run these epic track day events, and uh, we'd use those proceeds to benefit children's charities in Colorado and Utah, and out of that, uh, in two thousand six. Miller Motorsports Park in Utah is opened. Larry Miller builds his dream uh, play place, I guess. And it's a four and a half mile, 24 turn, the epic, epic <laughs> racetrack. And, and he donates that for four days for us to do racing to save lives. And, and so it just goes on. And then I, did, I ran a track day business in Colorado for a little bit. Where, uh, where we promoted promoted days like you're now going to now mm-hmm. that you're you've become an addict, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it, and that turned into some instruction, and that again part, partnered me up with Mark, who is a, a guide in my instructor path, which ultimately gets me invited to Champ School to be an instructor. Mm. So, cool. I mean that. that Lots of detail missing, right? And no, I've already course. talked too yeah. long about it. So no, that's 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 awesome, awesome trip. Are you uh, are you still racing? I'm not right now. I put my race program on hold so that the boys could go racing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Between the travel and and the expense of racing itself, I, I'm just not prepared to support three programs. Sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. And uh, and I wanted to make sure that the focus stayed on the boys that's in cool. these years. Right, if they, if they really want to give this a go, they they have a chance of racing professionally if they if they so choose. Choose right. That's I'm awesome. well past that uh, that opportunity in my career. 
Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I don't know, but one of the one of the first Moto America guys I interviewed uh, was uh, actually it was a Chris Bays. I don't know. We were, we were talking about you know the, the, the different classes in Moto America, and uh, I think I was fifty seven at the time, and I think the cutoff for Twins Cup is like fifty five or something. So I was like, ah, oh, I guess I darn, missed, I, missed, I missed my window. I have to do something else, <laughs> club racing or something like that, but. Yeah, I looked through the list of people you've had on, right? Jason Madama, Chris yeah. Bays, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rob, Rob Ciccolo Jr., then then Rob Ciccolo and Chip Spaulding and mm-hmm. and Kyle, right? Like, yeah. That I'm even considered in this company is really quite an honor. So, again, thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, um, yeah, actually, so so just regarding, you know, what you're doing with the boys, you know, we were we were fortunate. We were at pit race for that round of Moto America, so I got a chance to see the Mini Cup, you know, yes. up up close and, and personal, which was really cool. Got a chance to talk a little bit with uh, Kayla Yakov, who uh, I'm working at. As soon as I can, whatever, we'll schedule to get her on the podcast. I think that'd be really awesome. Um, anyway, it, it, it was just – it was a ton of fun watching. Um, it, it, it's – you know, it's funny that they call it the mini cup because it's like, I'm trying to think how to put this. I don't mean this in a negative way at all. It's like mini racing. Like you, you watch these kids decked out like they're racers. I mean, they are racers. You know, it's are. like, it's like, you, you know, you, you take a MotoGP or Moto America racer and you just kind of shrink them down a little bit. You shrink the bike down a little bit. And, and that's what it looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, no, the, the, the skill, the technique, the dedication, the passion, it's, it's all there, you know? And the bikes that they're racing, right? They're there's spec motorcycles. The bikes are right. all essentially identical, yeah. and, but they're the real thing. They've got a real chassis and real suspension and real brakes. It, they're not toy bikes. They're yeah. they're genuine mini race bikes, and uh, and that just makes it better, right? They're on real tires, on real circuits, right? The go kart tracks are perfect for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And they're using the same skills that Kyle and Josh and Bradley Ward and everybody on the big bikes are using to yeah. negotiate just on smaller scale at slower speed. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, his name is Aaron, and Aaron's a very good superbike racer, and he would always train on the supermoto bike at the go-kart track. And he always said that the 450 supermoto on a go-kart track brought the track to you about the same pace as the thousand superbike did on the big track. So it was really good training because the reaction times and input times were about the same. Same. Nice. And I thought I thought that was an interesting take. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing in like the one ninety Ovales, Rossi Moore, Kayla Yakov, right? they're seeing those go kart tracks coming to them at the pace of like a, a stock thousand bike, I, mm-hmm. I would assume maybe even, even quicker just because the circuits are smaller. So you scale everything down yep. and all of the, all of the excitement stays the same. Right. Um, and, and that's just fantastic. Oh. They were great to watch. We, uh, we watched them here at road America when they were here. Um, the other great thing about coming, you know, we're going to have recurring themes coming back to community, right? was the sheer number of Moto America racers who came over uh, to watch the yes. mini cup and the kids race. Yeah. Right. And, and they were glued to the fences yep. to watch this go down. Right. And, and so they're building that community. They're building the future of their sport as Absolutely. well. It's just fantastic. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was cool while I was waiting to, to talk with uh, Kayla. You know, she was uh, doing a debriefing with Roger Hayden. You know, I guess he was watching her out there racing and yeah, he was pointing out whatever he was pointing out and she was just soaking it all in. It was really, it was really cool to see, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and to your point, like about life lessons and things and, you know, a lot can be the individual, you know, I mean, we're all different as people, right? And, you know, there are kids who are more attentive than, than other kids, but uh, to see like, you know, like how mature she was for her age, you know, just taking in what he was saying, you know, whatever, whatever's, Hey, you know, you can correct this, you can correct that constructive criticism kind of thing. And you could tell she was just taking it in and ready to apply it, you know, to, to take the lesson and go out and try it, you know, try what he was telling her. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? The that group of kids is is really competitive. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting. It's another interesting facet of the community of motorcycle racers, right? When when the helmet is on, I I want to slaughter my competitors. I absolutely yeah. want to crush their hopes and dreams. Uh, but as soon as the helmet's off, I want to have a burger with them, yeah. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're seeing that play out in the in the mini cup as well, right? There, that competition on track is fierce, right? Kayla Kayla doesn't want to give up a position to anybody, uh, and will do just about anything to keep that position. Uh, but as soon as the helmet's off, uh, a she wants to learn how she can keep that rider behind her again next time. But b she can't wait to shake that rider's hand and congratulate them uh, on a race well well won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So I just see uh, Clay is watching. Clay said, Grom racing for life. Yeah, <laughs> Clay is on this huge Grom kick. He, uh, he's pretty sure that Groms are going to save the world, and, and maybe that's true. Um, I, I'm, I'm not fully convinced, so he's going to keep working on me, I'm sure. Okay, fair enough. Well, <laughs> everybody needs a challenge, right? <laughs> but to that end, right, at, at Utah Sport Bike Association, they now have a Supermoto series, and there's a spot for minis uh, like Clay's Grom to race. And, and as that population of riders increases, that's a, that's a segment of racing that's growing because the commitment's a little lower. Uh, the risks are a little lower. Right. The just everything about it, just like the kids racing, right? It's it's racing scaled back. Uh, that mini and supermoto racing is a great family event. Uh, adults and children can do that together on the same day and have different classes where they're competitive. And as it grows, you you make classes for for groms or minis or whatever's showing up. You you make it you make a place for them to race because that's how you grow the sport and make people be included. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I've gotten to know Todd from heroic racing apparel and uh, he recently you know, posted something about going, there's a you know, this Nassau Coliseum, not too, about half an hour from where I live, where they were doing go-kart and had basically you know, racing go-karts or whatever, but they also had a little couple segments during the day where you could ride, you know, small, displacement motorcycles like up to 125 cc or something so he was out there with a buddy of his so it, it was fun you know it was just a parking lot with cones set up you know not, nothing fancy but it was just cool to go out and see like it, you know it's like small investment i think he said he spent eight hundred dollars on the bike or something like that and they're just out you know having a good old time so yeah. anything anything like that i guess to that point of of course it's awesome you know if you can afford the equipment and you have the skills to race the big bikes on the big tracks go for it but just the fact that there you know, can be all these different levels so that people can participate 
you know, yeah. in, in some in some fashion, be part of it and enjoy it. And you know, it's not the same thing necessarily, but you feel like you can you can relate better. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And with the little bikes, uh, the costs of the whole thing are cheaper, right? The a set of tires lasts a whole year instead of yeah. a weekend, yep. and the bikes aren't hard on chains and sprockets and. When they fall down, they're pretty light, so they don't tend to detonate themselves into right. oblivion, right? You pick it up and straighten out a handlebar and replace a foot peg and, and go racing again. The boys have fallen off of their little ovales a couple times now. We've bent a swing arm spool. I mean, that's that's the extent of the damage we've done. So a yeah. few more scratches on the bodywork, and there's a scuffed foot peg, but, uh, you know, we pick it up and we kick the starter, and, and they go ride again. And it's not this elaborate tear down and rebuild that's necessary to to keep them rolling yeah it, it's funny you mentioned that it breaks my heart sometimes when i see like what kyle goes through with with his Ooh. bike like out at the was the ridge where he busted the swing arm and you just see the whole thing just taken apart you know that's that yeah. that's some effort and dedication you know that's 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 yeah. that's, that's the real deal I'm thrilled to be like the ancillary b team gets called when they need a hand guy yeah. for that team That's but cool. the crew that he's got together these days is really outstanding uh you know uh, uh darren and dave and evan uh, and kyle himself is is such an impressive uh force of nature to be honest with you driving the truck chasing the sponsors yeah. buying the parts yeah. like it, it's uh it's a level of dedication that i, I don't i don't possess for sure and I try to be really good at the things I do, but mm-hmm. but I don't I don't have that. Yeah. And I'm thrilled to know somebody who does and to be able to support him a little bit in it. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome just to see how he runs his operation. Did um did you know Kyle before Yamaha Champions or did you meet through Yamaha Champions? Well that that's an interesting part of the story because while I was running uh Utah Sport Bike, it was the first year that Moto America took over for the AMA championship. And uh, let me see if I can find a couple of yeah, sure. pictures here. We'll see. Uh, there it is. All right. So while you're doing that, I just thought I'd read a couple other comments here. So yeah. Cole Phillips said, the mini sumo is the most competitive I've seen all year. Crazy fun class to watch. Cheap awesome. and easy to enter. A wise man once said, it was not serious racing, but seriously fun. <laughs> I like that. Um, and James Riggs wants to know does scott have a wardrobe change cued for this interview (laughs) (laughs) james missed my uh my talking earlier about having some struggles about which uh which shirt i was going to wear james i've settled on the ovale shirt i'm going to support the boys uh that's our that's our plan so one of the things that we did that was super cool was we started a uh a super bike challenge Maybe you can see this. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, this was the last year we did it, but we uh, we worked with a local uh, a sponsor. We put together a purse. We put together a superbike challenge, and the superbike challenge was the first club. Uh, it was actually the first support race for Moto America races oh, nice. after they took over. So it was the first time they didn't run the whole show. It was it was their first year doing it. Uh, we had a great setup at at Utah where there was an east and a west paddock where we could occupy part of it and not get in their way. Um, and so we partnered with a local 
uh, outdoor suppliers, a signature products group, and they just bought a line of tools called Black Rhino Tools, and they sponsored the event. And um, what came out of it was uh, was this. And this is where I met Kyle Wyman. Ah, okay. Uh, what we had done is we structured the uh, we structured the event so that if you were in the top five of any of your championships at the point in time you got there as a pro racer, AMA pro, you weren't eligible to participate in the Superbike Challenge because we didn't want the Cam Bobiers or the Garrett Gerloffs of the world just to clean up and and take our money. Um, but Kyle hadn't had had kind of a bad start to his season, so he was he was outside of that that realm it may have been top 10 uh so he came and raced with us and that's barrett long uh and oleg pianic and oleg is a local utah racer who did well and barrett was a privateer who was doing the super stock 1000 class so this is this is how i met kyle and then uh i didn't i was teaching at the champ school at this point in time but i was teaching at the events that Kyle couldn't make it to. I was, I was the backfill for his spot. Not that I can ride like him in any way, shape or form, but, um, but when he couldn't make the schools, the champ school would call me and they'd invite me to come, come be a part of it. We made these great trophies. Oh, nice. Uh, So that's the, uh, that's the shape of the track milled Mm -hmm. out of a piece of aluminum. Again, community, uh, one of our racers, David Purcell, owns a machine machine shop and was able to make these up for us. And That's really get cool. The sponsors and the and that in there. So uh, that is the genesis of of meeting Kyle, which was was really uh, quite enjoyable experience. That's, that's got cool. to hand him a really really nice paycheck. Is really what I got to do. Yeah, that's um, awesome. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we've been in touch ever since and, and really become friends since I started teaching with him uh, at the Champ School. It's been nice, good fun. Nice. This is a quick break to mention the affiliates program for my podcast. If you go to the affiliates page on my website, you'll see the companies that I have partnered with to bring you some of the motorcycle gear and services that I use myself. Not only will you benefit from their products and services, but depending on the product you choose, you may also get a discount. By using these links to make a purchase, you will also be supporting the podcast and my goal to help grow the sport of motorcycling. My affiliate partners are author Andrew Goodman and his book, Shiny Side Up, From First Ride to Fast Rider. Bond Body Armor, which provides excellent armored gear for hot weather conditions that can also be used year-round with the cool weather gear you probably already have. Break Free, makers of the smart brake light for your helmet. Heroic Racing Apparel, designer and manufacturer of high-quality custom and off-the-rack gear for street and track riding, including leather gloves, jackets, track suits, and their armored Kevlar hoodie. Motul, which provides the Slacker digital suspension tuner, which makes it easy for anyone to set the front and rear seg on their motorcycle without needing help from anyone else. And Street Skills LLC, which provides the Cornering Confidence book and online course, which really helped me improve my street riding skills, including the proper use of trail braking. And now back to the show. And then so so from time to time, you're kind of uh, like helping out on his crew, I guess, when either he needs the help or kind of, kind of works out schedule wise, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really interesting year. And, you know, in a weird way, it, it worked out. 
for me to be able to help a little more because they did the double header here uh, in Wisconsin at right. Road America early on. So I didn't have to I didn't have to travel big, right? I, I got in I got in my pickup and drove over there and helped out, and that way he didn't have to bring additional crew and threaten a bunch of exposure in airports and things like that as as COVID was becoming a thing. So it was over for the first two rounds and uh, I must've done an okay job because they invited me back. So, nice. um, and so I've been away from the team now for a little bit. Uh, they've, they had that disastrous weekend at the Ridge, the Ridge yeah. and then, and then followed up with uh, pit race and now New Jersey, um, kind of starting to to trend their way um and i'll rejoin they're going now to barber this weekend and i'll rejoin them at indianapolis so i'm really looking forward to that the the whole crew is such a fantastic group of humans right the yep yeah darren evan and and dave are just great and good things happening for kyle's program right he's uh he's got a full-time now shop secured in arizona i think and he's got and he's hired kind of his first full-time employee who will take some of the burden of that ordering parts and, and logistics off of Kyle's plate so he can really focus on being a motorcycle racer, which right, is right, right. No, that's awesome. fantastic to watch. That's yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's, yeah, that's really cool. One, uh, one more comment. So I apologize if I don't get your name right, but Parisa Azervand, do you know Parisa? Yeah, I know yeah. Parisa. Um, said that she remembers this. I'm guessing maybe what you were showing with that with that race. She yeah, said it was so red. So yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad that she's joined. Parissa is another one of these people who's just a a real force in the Utah motorcycling community. She's a uh, she's uh, social media savvy. She's extroverted and <laughs> and incredibly fun to be around and wanting to learn and contribute. She's volunteered for years. She's currently running the, their social media program. So if you see posts on Facebook from the Utah Sport Bike Association, it's likely Parissa had Parissa. a part oh, cool. in that. And, uh, and again, we, we come back to the common theme of community and how important it is to just making this go, right? Motorcycle club racing is the worst business model in the history of business models, there's, there's no way to make money uh, doing it, which is why most of the clubs are either formed as nonprofits or, or behave as them. And that's true in, in Utah as well. So it's people like Parissa and and Clay is a volunteer for the club. He, he works there as well. James, uh, James Riggs, my Utah folks are chiming in tonight. Ah, Currently the vice president of the club and, and these people all volunteer their time uh, to, to make motorcycle racing happen in the community. And, and they're the spirits of that culture that, that keep it driving forward. It's fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it, it's great to meet all of you through uh, cyberspace or <laughs> social media. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet in person one of these days. Um, Speaking of which, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to swing it. I'd really like to go to Indy, so maybe you and I will get a chance to meet in person. Oh, I'm kind of waiting to see. You know, unfortunately, I keep checking every, once, every, every week. I check the New York State website because Indiana is, you know, one of, one of the states. If I go there, I got to quarantine for two weeks when I come back kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of we'll see how that goes. 
Um, Unfortunately, yeah. it looks like it's trending up in all the states yeah, at this point yeah, in time. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a little bouncy so. that way. And hopefully, uh, hopefully that falls off, or that, or you're willing to quarantine for two weeks. Uh, yeah, it's way, just it's a little it. tricky, you know, because you talk to some people, and you know, they're like quarantine, you know, right? Which whatever I get, everyone's got to make their own mind up. The the bigger the bigger issue is my uh, my girlfriend works with small kids on a bus, like she's a bus monitor. So, yeah. you know, and, and granted, okay, maybe kids are not as susceptible, but it's just like you know, I don't want to be the cause of someone's kid getting sicker or something like that. So. None of us do, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it goes it goes to that idea of where is that line versus risk and reward? Yeah, and absolutely. What do you get out of it, right? And and what lessons can we take from other things we do and how we manage uh, navigating a world that has COVID nineteen in it now? And, yeah. and I think we're just going to live in a world that has COVID nineteen in it from this point forward, um, and it will just be a, a fact of our of our just lives. Right. And just learn, yeah, learn to deal with it. It's interesting because I listen to Greg's Garage podcast and I know lately at the end of episodes, you know, they've been saying, hey, everybody, if you get a chance to go out and see racing in person, do it. But of course, you know, do it safe. So if you don't feel comfortable with the whole COVID thing, okay, watch from home, you know, so there's always yeah. that option. I tell you, Live Plus is awesome. Um, it, it, you know, in fact, I, it's, it's so funny. I was at Jersey this past weekend shooting tons of photos, which you've probably seen, you know, all over social media. Um, and uh, it, it's really interesting to have a chance to come home and watch the races because I miss so much. Like when, when you're out on the track shooting photos and my attention's on photos, you know, it's like you're not, and, it, and something like I'll wear my radio headset so I can listen in on the announcers, but you don't always follow what's actually happening on the track. So it's, it's awesome to just come home, crank up, you know, Motor America Live Plus and then be able to watch the whole, the whole races and, you know, see, either see the things I only heard about and kind of missed or, you know, things that were right in front of me and my camera was pointing the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reality is that if you really want to watch the race, uh, live plus or any of the, the video or Fox sports one or any yes. of those, it is a better way to do it because yep. you can see the whole track that way. Right. Absolutely. But, uh, but there's something about the experience in person that is really unbeatable. The smell of, of the fuel, the, the kind of, the sound the of the engines fever pitch that happens just just before the race starts right that that kind of precipice of tension that is very very difficult to replicate with anything else yeah yeah so uh just, just so you know clay said we're starting a bring ribo back campaign yeah uh, i've i've heard of this before and and i'm glad to know that uh, they, you know, sometimes when you leave something, you become the scapegoat for all the problems that thing has. Oh yeah, Scott really screwed us on that. He he left us with all these troubles, and it's and he's not here anymore. So uh, yeah, over uh, over the summer last summer, we moved from Utah to Minnesota, mm. and uh, and tried to leave the club in capable hands yeah. and. And with a mission to go forward, and and that appears to be playing out. They're they're just fine without me. They don't need me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, <laughs> so what? Um, so now that you're at, so I'm sorry, you said Minnesota, right? Minnesota. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's the plans there? I'm not too familiar. I've been to Minnesota many many years ago. Not too familiar with it. Um, have you found a track already that you can go to or? Yeah, so we've got a we've got that partnership with Jessica and Zars, uh, and they use the Dakota uh, area, the Dakota Community Technical College, and they've got this uh, 
it's not really a racing track. It's a driving track. Um, and it's not really set up for racing. There's no gravel traps. The, the runoff isn't too big. But it's a great place to go practice skills. So we've been going up there with the boys a lot. Uh, I just came back from a, uh, a track day at Road America with my friend, my friend James. We'll put that picture up here. He and I uh, went around at the track here the other day. And it was really great fun. Set up a little spot to ourselves. Nice. And uh, and uh, that's my my buddy Justin joined us from with his RC fifty one, and then James rode Sarah's monster, and I rode my FZ one. This is from uh, this is from a couple years ago. This is uh, Justin and Tom D, who are twin brothers, and these are my boys, Aaron and David. Uh, who are twin brothers. So it's, it's just been <laughs> a building of a continual building of the community. But R Road yeah. America is, is my favorite track in the, in this area. It's just a fantastic, fantastic circuit. It's got, uh, you just kind of go into the place and you feel the nostalgia and the, the history and the, the passion that's happened there. And it's, very European in nature, right? It's, it's four miles around and it's very, very fast and flowing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a really enjoyable place to go be and be with uh, my friends. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I had a chance to go see the Moto America race there. The first one, um, I would have loved to just stay and do a track day or something like that, but whatever that, that, that didn't happen. So maybe I'll have to plan that for the future, but that's a beautiful facility. And it was, it was weird. Cause that was the first race, no spectators. Um, you know, so it, it was, it was weird. Cause on the one hand, it was just so easy to go anywhere I wanted to go. You know, there's no whatever crowds or whatever, but on the right. other hand, you just missed that. It's just different, you know, when there's people there to see what's going it on, really and, is. you know, and interact with the racers and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, well, let me know if you're going to do that and I'll show you around. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be, be awesome. Happy to show you that. That would be awesome. Do I understand you're going to join us at Champ School here pretty soon? Um, that is, yeah, that is on the to-do list. Um, I think what I'm going to do probably, I want to, I did uh, levels one and two, California, California Superbike School. So I want to, I think, I'm thinking I want to do levels three and four first to kind of just complete the package there. And yep. then, uh, and then uh, yeah, I would definitely love to do Champ School. Yeah, well, okay. we'd love to have you. And I'm sure... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd come on and we could limit the uh, topic to that after you, after you attend. Let's, uh, sure. yeah, let's yeah. do another one of these where we just, we just talk about Champ School because That'd it's be a great awesome. program. I'm, I'm really, awesome. uh, I'm honored and proud to be a part of it. Yeah. No, it, it, it sounds, it sounds like a great organization, you know, just, I know and talking with Chip Spalding and, uh, you know, Rob Chicolo, you know, kind of their, their involvement in it. And uh, even you know, many is, you know, Yamaha yep. champions trained. So that, that's, that's, that's really, really cool. It's cool. So uh, I know we haven't hit on all the topics yet, but I uh, thought maybe we'd start winding it down a little bit. Um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we can do another one of these if you're up for it. Um, I, 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 I like all the stuff that you're showing. That's really cool. So maybe, you know, next time we will do more of that. It's, it's nice with the video feed, being able to show, you know, pictures and stuff, which by the way, I have to ask the, the picture behind you on the wall there over your yes. right shoulder. Who is that? That's me. It is nice. Yeah, it's me on an Aprilia RSV 1000 at a track in Colorado called High Plains Raceway. Cool. Uh, it's the top of, they've got like a mini corkscrew there. And my buddy John Chadwick took that photo. So that's a picture of you. What was the, what's the name of the track? 
High Plains Raceway, and it's uh, in Colorado, and it's the successor to Second Creek. Second Creek ended up being near where people wanted to be build houses, so it was closed mm-hmm. for okay. for noise reasons at some point. And uh, the Colorado Amateur Motorsports Association, CAMA, raised funds and bought a plot of land out on the Eastern Plains near Byers. Uh, and built a racetrack out there, and it's a unique model. It's uh, it's owned by a handful of the racing clubs that use it, including the Motorcycle Road Racing Association. So uh, they, as owners, have control over it, and they've decided not to host pro events there and, and chase those kind of publicity-grabbing bla- or, or money-grabbing events, but really to keep amateur motorsports alive in the yes. state. And it's, it's fantastic. It's That's- very well managed, um, and it's a great circuit to go ride. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, is, is that a photograph? It almost looks like a, a painting, or no? It's a picture. It's a it's, picture. It's a it's a big picture. John's got really nice equipment, I, I suppose, kind of like you do. That's uh, from 2012, so I suppose you can probably go buy the stuff that that kind of quality stuff, except for the lens, uh, <laughs> yeah. at at Walmart today. But you couldn't then. That's and, so uh, funny. Yeah, really, he really had a a nice, nice piece of glass right. on the front of the camera too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice, so, nice shot, nice shot. Very, yeah. very cool, very cool. Um, so Tom said, "Thanks for the photo and the mention." Road America 2020 with the Rebarics was a blast. Yeah. So Tom, thank you for that. Yeah, Tom Deeg, joining us from uh, from Massachusetts. So cool. Thanks for tuning in, Tom. Really appreciate. It. All right, so we got we got we got people from all over the country. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so um, any closing comments you have, and uh, maybe want to just give you know your contact info, how people could reach you if they have questions about you or Yamaha Champions Riding School. Yeah. So as as we wrap up, I want to uh, I'm going to hit on one of the last points if you don't mind me taking Absolutely. a couple extra minutes. And not at all. And it's a question that's been bouncing around in my head a little bit, and that is are modern motorcycles and modern tires too good? And are they masking mistakes that we make as riders with uh, obscene levels of grip out of the tires, right? I, I, uh, we teach on Yamaha or on Yamaha motorcycles, but on Dunlop Q3 pluses that in 2002 would have been the very best racing tire you could have ever gotten. You buy them for the street today for a few hundred dollars a set, and they last a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. They're really amazingly good, and the motorcycles with their electronics are really, really good. And in some ways, that's making motorcycling safer, but it's also masking the uh, the errors we make as riders. Right. So uh, it's a call to be diligent, to get some additional education. Now, I'm obviously biased, right? I think uh, I think the Yamaha School is the best program going in the country, if not in the world. And, uh, and so continue your education. If it's, I understand that those schools are expensive. So reach out to your local racing club and see if they've got a class or a program you can be a part of and continue that education, continue trying to be really good at this because like we talked about early in the podcast, right? Those eyes being up is the difference between getting hit by an F-250 or, or not. And I, I guess I've maligned Ford unfairly, a 2,500 <laughs> uh, uh, or, or not. Yeah. And 
we live in a world where there's many, many more distractions than there were not too many years ago. So yeah. uh, both on and off the bike, right? We have headsets in the helmets and maybe listening to the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast while we're riding and, and distracted um, or texting, uh, the driver texting on the phone and distracted. So yeah. really, really work on being excellent at riding a motorcycle. And anybody who's listening, please take that lesson to heart and realize that some of the mistakes we're making on motorcycles are being covered up by the, the sheer goodness of the equipment that we have available to yeah. us today. Yeah. Well um, said. Good point. And if you want to reach me, you can find me on Facebook. I think Chris has tagged me in the, in the posts he's yep. made. That's yep. probably as easy a way to get a hold of me as any. Uh, mm -hmm. you can also find Yamaha Champion School out there, uh, Yamaha, uh, champschool.com. Uh, you can reach me at scott at champschool.com if you want cool. to send me an email. And, um, and really, Chris, thanks for hosting this. It's enthusiasts like you that make this really a, a great sport and a chance to build my community even further through you. So no, thanks my, for having me on. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for joining me. It's been a ton of fun. And uh, thank you for everyone who tuned in to watch and who listens when this goes out as a podcast. And uh, I, I have a feeling uh, you and I will be chatting a lot more in the future. <laughs> I can't wait for so, it. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again. If you want to hang tight, I'll, uh, I'll shut it down and we could just chat a little bit offline. It sounds great. Thanks, Chris. All right. Good night, everyone. Bye, all. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to SoYouWantToRideAMotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thupper Club, where I will list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride.